The Appalachian Mountain Range encompasses a vast portion of the eastern United States up into eastern Canada. With its many plateaus, valleys, and hollers, stories of strange creatures sprung up within the communities that called them home. Tonight, we highlight some of the strange stories and mysterious legends from the Appalachian region with author Mark Muncy and illustrator Carrie Schultz. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Presents, the Hometown Haunts Podcast. I am your host, Kat Loco, and tonight with me in the shadows, as always, are Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. Actually, they're not in the shadows. They're forthright now, unmuted, and for everyone to see if you're following our YouTube channel. So, hey, ladies. Hey. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> So, for everyone who wants to follow us on social media, you can find us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram, and of course, we're dying to hear your stories of the strange and paranormal from your neck of the woods. So, please send them into hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. I know that is running below me right now, just like a ticker tape on the YouTube channel, but also for those of you who want to know where it is, it's in the show notes. Like all this information is, Christina lovingly puts it there every single week. You can also join us on our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts, where we have all sorts of chatty people, just like myself and all of you wonderful folk, talking about their hometown haunts and sharing them with everyone in real time. We're an official podcast that can be heard wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, Jen. And if you want to see us while we're doing the show, like I've mentioned before, just like a minute ago, you can watch the video feed on YouTube. Find us by searching Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities or Hometown Haunts. You can find us at both. And please rate and review us there so other spooky history lovers, just like yourself, can find us. Link, of course, is in the show notes. And, of course, we have some show news. Hey, we're here! It's been, like, what, six weeks? It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. Because, Christina, you're back stateside. Tell yes. us about your adventures in the land of vampires. <laughs> yes, well, I was just in Romania. Um, as you know, one of my good friends, I was in her wedding in 1998. And for years, we've been saying, let's do a sketching trip to Romania. Um, it doesn't seem like the most obvious thing with all the Dracula mythos that comes around Romania. But I'm an avid urban sketcher so um, not only did we get to see Dracula's castle and go to a lot of citadels and castles as you know I'm a castle addict so mm -hmm. even though I'm satiated for castles right now it's like you know taking heroin it's gonna I'm gonna be wanting I'm gonna be going through withdrawal suit and want to go back and see more castles we got the Loveland castle you can just stare at it I know I just need to go to the Loveland castle they just added uh, a greenhouse so and actually, that's where I saw the most Americans was when we were at Brand Castle, which is allegedly where Vlad the Impaler, he never actually lived there, but they have done with Brand Castle what I said they should have done years ago. When I first went in 2014, it was mostly centered on Romanian history. Um, hmm. You would go there, and not that there's anything wrong with Romanian history, but most people that go to Brand Castle want to know about Dracula and Vlad the Impaler. And at the time I said, you know, they ought to do a lot more folklore stuff and have things about ghosts. And they have done that. The Brand Castle was bought several years ago and the new owners have added a lot of really cool folklore and homages to 
Vlad the Impaler and Dracula. And even though most Romanians would say Dracula has nothing to do with them, Bram Stoker was British <laughs> and True. just placed it in Romania because it sounded exotic. Um, it does get a lot of tourists, and that's the only place we really saw many Americans was at mm -hmm. Brand Castle. But there's a beautiful town next to it called Brasov, mm -hmm. and we spent some time there sketching. Um, and one thing that I did, so we kind of went through Transylvania. We stayed at several towns there and met with some locals. One of the coolest places you can visit in Romania is called Sigishwara, and it is this old citadel that was built... I want to say like in the 1500s mm -hmm. and I got a children's book that is translated and talks about all the different tragedies that have happened in Sigishwara. And when I say that's its history, mm -hmm. because Romania is sort of a crossroads of invasions and that sort of thing. So there's been a lot of, you know, invasions from Austria and invasions from Turkey and invasions from Hungary. And um, a lot of those areas were still contested are still contested. I mean, if you were following what happened with Bosnia and Croatia and that sort of thing, which are their neighbors. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a really interesting place to visit. They have all these towers that uh, were built by the different guilds and it has this wonderful medieval flair. So for a castle file like me, it was really exciting. And I got to sketch with different artists there. And that was yeah. fun. We hung out with artists in Sigishwara and in Bucharest, and they were all very friendly. And we drew together and drank together and had a lot of fun. That sounds so, good. I know on Instagram, which say what your Instagram handle is for people so they can check out the photos. And all uh, CSW Yellow Cat, spelled Y E L L O K A T. Don't ask why it's spelled that way. It's because I don't want to get into that discussion. <laughs> It's just the way it is. But it's go, just the way it is. They were saying don't you use your real name back then. <laughs> all of your sketches. They're wonderful sketches and all the oh, thanks. all the towns and the people. Like I like the photos of you with uh, other urban sketchers from around Romania. Mm -hmm. And that's just all fun. So I know yeah, it was, was really exciting. Yes. And so. and I brought back this thing that we went to this monastery. Uh so most of Romania is uh uh, uh, Christian Orthodox. It's not, there is a little bit of Catholic from mm -hmm. when the Habsburgs were in charge in Hungary. So you see some places where you'll have the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholic churches next to each other. But we mm -hmm. went to this really unusual mix of architectural styles called um, the Cotea de Argis, Argis, Argis. I'm not sure. I, I need to learn conversational Romanian if I'm going to be visiting there a lot. But yeah, that may, uh, that may be good. Yes. Uh, and it's, Though I one will thing, say it's better than mine. So One thing that Iwana mentioned about it that, that I thought was fascinating was she said that, and I didn't know if this was an old folklore, folklore or if this is old uh, pagan folklore, but she was talking about this, you know, chapel, which has their royal family buried when it was mm -hmm. first built. She said a lot of buildings have to be considered to have a soul. And so they have a sacrifice to them. So the legend is that one of the builders, and it says that it's it's the center of a popular Romanian legend. And one of the construction workers, Manole, saw all day his work being destroyed at night. In the end, he sacrificed his wife by burying her alive inside the walls. Now, you all are into true crime. I don't know if that would stand up. Um, but they said they claimed that she was buried in the walls and that gave the building a soul. But they said they've x-rayed the building and can't find her bones. So uh, 
It was just one of those one-off things that Iwana said, and I was like, what? What what kind of legend is this? Oh, well, you know, we think our building should have a soul. And <laughs> That's some dark black I magic so. to I be thought, putting I into so. a church. It was a very interesting... In my opinion. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of really interesting folklore type things. And unfortunately, we weren't there for the solstice, but they have a lot of solstice celebrations and... Um, it's interesting because a lot of people talked about that movie Midsommar. Jen and I saw it in the mm -hmm. theater. And actually, a lot of the design was taken from Romanian folk folklore, not from Swedish folklore. Mm -hmm. huh. <laughs> yeah, That's I can cool. see that. Yeah, so we're hoping to do another tour. We, we, you know, the some of the Romanian sketches are really excited about like helping us plan some different locations and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. yeah. I definitely want to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was I, really exciting. Yeah. Big old houses? Yes. Uh -huh. Big old yeah. castles? Double yeah. yes. Uh -huh. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And plus Graveyards? The, I am sold. Yeah. And plus there. the most bears in Europe. Like, I, I forget what the number is, and I'll try to put it in the show notes, but I think there's supposed to be 7,000 bears in in sorry, in sorry in Europe, and 6,000 of them are in Romania, because uh, there's a lot of old growth forest there mm -hmm. that for some reason, and they're trying to keep it now from getting all logged. Right. But when we were going to Brashov, you know how you get those amber alerts on your phone? Yes. We got a mm -hmm. bear alert. So what do you was, do when you get the bear alert? Do you run and hide or <laughs> boy, go boy, indoors? Boy. I think bears can open doors, can't they? You stay in your car. <laughs> you give anyway, them a picnic uh, basket. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, I could talk about Romania for hours. We have yes. some very special guests today. But yes. uh, first, well, we have some show notes. Some show notes, some show news. Uh, we are actually taking a summer break. I know we have been gone for several weeks if we're doing this episode. And then we'll be gone again. <laughs> um, so we'll be doing limited shows in July and August. But we're coming back in September with some very fun guests. Some returning, hopefully, from earlier last year. So... Uh, please continue to send us our stories, however, that's at hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com, and we would love to read them at the end of episodes. Your own personal ghost stories, cryptid stories, UFO sightings from around your neck of the woods. Like I stress, you don't have to be from Cincinnati to listen to this show, because we talk about fringe history, and Cincinnati is weird enough for the world. Yes. So, all right, with that, I am opening up my book. I have a book, guys. In ladies, in non-binary pals. It's a book. I'm so happy. Um, so I am going to be reading from this book about our wonderful guests tonight. So Mark Mudsey is an author of horror and science fiction. He has spent more than three decades collecting ghostly tales and reports of legendary beasts. Have you heard of my uncle? He's on the west side. He's really hairy. He has the same color hair as I do, but he's about five foot tall. And some call him a grass man. Anyway, he has previously written three books for the History Press, including Creepy Florida, Eerie Florida, and Freaky Florida. He is a frequent guest on Coast to Coast AM, Nerd Talk Live, Drinking with Authors, and Into the Fray Radio. He is a commenter and collaborator on numerous programs, including Expedition X, Sasquatch Chronicles, Road Trips with Ripley's, and many more TV and radio shows including this one now. Ha ha ha. Anyway, he can be found hosting the online show Eerie Travels. He lives in St. Petersburg, Florida on the remains of an ancient shell maiden with his wife, Carrie Schultz. Occasionally he is visited by his children and when they remember that he is still there. 
You can find out more about he and his work at eurieflorida.com. Now on to Carrie. Carrie Schultz is an illustrator at Fox Stream Studio who enjoys drawing cute and creepy creatures. She has been working on art as long as she can remember and reading folklore and horror for almost as long. She has illustrated several books of legends and monsters for history press, including Erie, Florida, Erie, Alabama, Erie, New Mexico, Creepy Florida, and Freaky Florida. She has a thing for foxes. When not drawing, she is the caretaker of her baby dragon named Claudius and her python, Missy, Pajamas, and Thulsa Doom. She also raises jumping spiders and tarantulas. She can be lured forth from her home with poke bowls or pasta. We have provided, I would like to say poke bowls because we have these two wonderful people on tonight. So bring them from the shadows, if you would, please, Christina, as we welcome Mark and Carrie to our show. Hello. Hi. Thank you for joining us. This will be so fun. Oh, thank you for having us. And I am so jealous, Christina. I haven't been to Romania since 1989. Ooh, oh, my gosh. That was, was like Ceausescu's. It was communist Romania still. And uh, it was right at the fall. And uh, I had to go through the Berlin Wall. I had to go through Checkpoint Charlie. Wow, and wow. Um, I was just out of high school. And I was a tourist going to Romania. And man, I got interviewed by the KGB. It was Because they're like, why are you going to Romania? And I wanted to tell them, well, I want to look at Dracula's castle. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, they didn't understand what a nerd was. So I said, <laughs> oh, I have, I, have, I, I have family there. So it was just, I, I'm, I'm looking up my family history. And they were like, oh, okay. So, no, yeah, uh, I have Romani, you know, blood there. So it was. Oh, that's I awesome. Was, we were chasing uh, encampments, and you know, but oh, then wow. oh, oh wow. it was it was insane. I can only imagine now where there's actually tourism and stuff. So yeah, uh, yeah well, Iwana yeah, and great. I have started this travel business. So if you ever want to go on one of our trips, let it, let me know. Oh, we will. We will be. We happy were, we're going to start doing it regularly. She actually was in the square when they deposed Ceausescu, and she is wow. uh she grew up in communist wow. romania and she immigrated to cincinnati i think in 1994 or 5 wow. and we were in their wedding in 1998 in romania nice. wow. it was a beautiful place and uh i remember newdorf very well i remember bucharest very well mm -hmm. and um and then um and we went to castle bran and mm -hmm. then as i was in castle bran i was like Okay, so this is what Bram Stoker wrote about because it, because Dracula's castle was just ruins, uh, and I understand now there's actually rope, so you can actually not fall off the mountain getting to Dracula's castle. Romania <laughs> is unrecognizable from what you saw in 1989. I since can it, only it, imagine. It joined the EU and NATO in 2007, I believe, and. As a matter of fact, it's changed dramatically since I was there in 2014. It's had billions of dollars of development from the EU and Germany. And so the roads are nice. They're rebuilding a lot of the castles. They are, um, I mean, everything looks amazing. So it's a really interesting place to visit. It's fantastic. I remember camping out on the, in the ruins of Dracula's real castle up on the top of that mountain. Mm -hmm, and, uh, mm -hmm. and we just had a tent unrolled in the, what's left of walls. And they were just starting to rebuild a turret. They were, I guess they were going to restore it. Cause I think even then the communists were like, Hey, there's this thing called tourism and it might work. Uh, and, um, but I remember digging a little bit of dirt and putting in a little glass coffin that I brought with me that I'd bought in London. Oh, and, that's awesome. You know, <laughs> cool. Dirt with me for forever, and it got shattered a number of years ago. But Aww. that was always sad. But that was 
that was that was definitely a great trip. Long, I think it's I think it's going to be a huge tourist destination because it's not that touristy yet. And there's tons of castles and citadels. And right now the dollar is super strong. So it's an argument yeah. for going there. Uh, so it's, we're hoping to do one or two tours a year into different areas. And there's just so much interesting architecture in the whole country. So I remember being mm -hmm. addicted to paprika hendel, which was just paprika chicken, which was oh. every, every meal was just baked chicken with paprika all over it. I loved it. Oh, it good, so. wow. Well, I don't know if I even saw that on the menu. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Romania. Like I said, Sorry. I can talk all day. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about your book. Yes. So. <laughs> Carrie, uh, do you want to talk about the book or do you want me to talk? Well, you're the storyteller. Yes. And uh, <laughs> All right. So. We will uh, ask yeah, about uh, the illustrations too. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that. They, they'll get to that. They're artists. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we do. We do myths, monsters, legends, ghosts, dark history. Um, we I, I ran a haunted attraction down here in St. Petersburg, Florida for 20 years called Hellview Cemetery. And we based it all on local lore and legends. So instead of having a werewolf jump out at you, we had the skunk ape jump out at you. <laughs> and instead of having, you know, uh, you know, some random vampire, we had this notorious bordello owner in Tampa called Madam Orr from the boathouse or the ore house as it was called. Uh, and uh, so we, we turned her in from a dust till from dust till dawn type thing and all that. So we ran that for a long time. And then, uh, and we posted the stories on our website and after a little while we got shut down by the city cause we had 10,000 people a weekend coming through my backyard, which is, you know, probably not the best thing. Uh, and um, it was all for charity. It was all for a good cause. Uh, but we had this pile of stories and uh at that point we published them and we were selling a little self-print book at the haunted house but we were approached by history press to go out and find the real history behind these things and i'm like oh real history twist my arm mm -hmm. uh history buff i can do that and that became eerie florida and when that became a bestseller they were like oh you have all these extra stories let's 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 keep doing more books please and so we did freaky florida mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, creepy Florida after that, and we were writing a fourth book that was another Florida book, but I was interviewing, I was doing one incident of a UFO incident down in Florida uh, called the Crestview sighting, and this was a 1952 incident near Miami where a bunch of kids outside of an elementary school saw a, their school was buzzed. And mm -hmm. there were hundreds of witnesses. This lasted over two days. And st students, teachers, all age groups saw this. And then the military came down and interviewed all the witnesses. So that it was, they really treated it seriously. Uh, one of the kids said, oh, they kind of hovered like helicopters. So the newspaper said, you know, it's helicopters. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of disappears. It doesn't become mm -hmm. Roswell or anything. It's just gone. It's this mm -hmm. deep history thing. And suddenly... You know, the year 2000s hit, uh, my books have hit, and social media has risen. And then the Navy announces, hey, UFOs are kind of real. And we, you know, we, you know, now we've got government you know, hearings on it and stuff for the first time in 50 years. Yep. And I've been approached by some of those witnesses. Now, these were kids in the 1950s and now in their 70s and older. And, um, and a lot of them are 
talking for the first time going, hey, this is what we saw. It was uh, what we call a tic-tac now, you know, and all this. <laughs> it was not a helicopter. We weren't crazy. Um, so I got to go down and interview this, this one particular guy. And he thankfully had this treasure. Uh, it was a diary that his father had kept with names and phone numbers. It was, it was like an address book that he would have kept by the front door. Uh, and he had the names of the three military men who came and interviewed his son at his home. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, Freedom of Information Act, I might be able to find some real information and get tie this together. And what was cool was the first one was a, you know, was a, you know, was like a Captain Smith from the Air Force. Not going to help me much. The next one was a Captain Sinclair from the Coast Guard. Now, that was a little more obscure. So I was thinking, all right, good things. And then the third name came up. And it just said government man. And then the name was cold. Oh. Yes. See, those <laughs> in the know suddenly go, what? Yo. Oh. And, and that's exactly with me. Goosebumps up and down the arms. I'm staring at the page. And I would say, do you know what you have? And the guy's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, this is the most priceless thing for a UFO expert ever and i'll let y'all in on the secret here in a minute for those who are curious yes. but cat there knows exactly what's going on in yeah. my head hmm. so i had to explain <laughs> to this gentleman who indrid cold was and i'm putting the timetable in my head i'm like wait a minute wait a minute so this was six months after the Derenberger incident near parkersburg west virginia hmm. the introduced the world to indrid cold mm -hmm. so six months later and he's suddenly possibly in Miami, Florida, working with the government. This is a crazy thing. So suddenly to write my next Florida book, I was going to have to include a chapter on Indrid Cold. Well, if I'm going to write about Indrid Cold, I got to write about Mothman. If I'm going to write mm -hmm. about Mothman, I've got to write about, uh, you know, Flatwoods. Flatwoods and Grafton and all this. Yep. And then there was another tie to the Flatwoods monster incident with a thing that happened in Tampa. Uh, that we had also discovered. And so it was like, oh my gosh, this, so I, I tell the publisher, I'm like, hey, this next Florida book's going to have, th you know, a third of it's going to be about West Virginia, Kentucky, mm -hmm. and Ohio. And they're like, okay, well, why don't you just do that book? And we're like, okay. And then I can do the Florida book and tie back in. So that's where this came about. Then of course, 2020 happened and the world ended. <laughs> and we couldn't do all the interviews and the trips and all the things we had planned. And a lot of the people we were interviewing were in retirement homes, old folks homes. Yeah. A lot of this stuff was, you know, 1950s, 1960s. Um, and, you know, we didn't want to be spreading the disease everywhere. So we're like, okay, we can't wipe out a generation of UFO first, you know, witnesses <laughs> and stuff. Thank you for your consideration. That would yeah, be very yeah. bad. <laughs> So, uh, so it delayed us, but it let us expand the scope and thanks to zoom and thanks to the world, you know, expanding, we were able to get a lot more done than we originally intended. And then we were able to expand it all along the Appalachian trail by doing so that let Carrie draw lots of fun monsters. Yes. And we would go back to original witnesses, original sightings, and we would look at the original descriptions, not, you know, the artist interpretation of the artist interpretation and, you know, or the, the newspaper sketch that was done to sensationalize the newspaper. And then oh it would also, newspaper sketches are terrible. Oh, they're 
especially for these monsters of mm -hmm. uh, Flatwoods is probably the most famous because it, it was done by a New York television crew and he's got the big arms and he's got the big dress and big head and it looks great. And, and you know, and, and the poor witness is like, yeah, that's exactly what we saw. And then she later said, no, if you look at her original description, nowhere does it say arms. Nowhere does it say eyes. It says like portholes and a lizard-like face looking through. You know, it's it's a completely different description. So Carrie got to have a lot mm -hmm. of fun with that. And um, and so that's that's what we went back to. And so that was what we were having fun with. Plus, it let me go back to Mount because I'm originally from Ohio, oh. West Virginia, Kentucky, that little tri-state area. Mm -hmm. so Returned to my home. Carrie's a Florida yeah, I'm native. Yeah, Floridian, so that's his stomping grounds. But I was happy to get out of Florida. <laughs> and, and you had you and you had some time in Jersey, so she got to return to her favorite monster. So yeah, yeah. So so we don't keep them on suspense too long. Oh. Who is Indrid Kolb? Okay, so Indrid, uh, this uh, so there's a man named Woody Derenberger, uh, is a uh, salesman in a big like panel truck in the 1950 uh, 1952, and he's driving. Uh, home to his home near Parkersburg, West Virginia. He's right along the Ohio West Virginia border on the turn on the interstate there. And he sees this car zip past him and it's being chased by what he described as like a kerosene uh, lamp flying turned on its side and, um, you know, giant thing. And it pulls in front of him. The other car just keeps going and then it slows down in front. So he has to pull over to the side of the road. It basically pulls him over this flying saucer type craft, you know, a cylinder. Uh, we would call it a cigar shaped thing now, but with like a bulb in it. And it lands next to him and outsteps this man um, in a shining suit. And he smiles at him and tells him, please roll down your window. And says, hello, my name is Indrid Cold, and I mean you no harm. I am a I am a traveler. I am uh, I am I am here to gather information. I am uh, I, I, I want to know things. And he proceeds to interrogate him for like 20 minutes, asking him all these questions. And Darren Berger's just answering everything he can. Um, the thing is, he's never opens his mouth. He just smiles at him. He's telepathically communicating. Now other cars drive by and see this and report it. So it's not just one guy making up a story that he got pulled over in the middle of nowhere near West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, and, um, but anyway, he gets home and tells his wife what happened. Uh, the big thing is Darren uh, you know, Darren Berger said when he was done, Indrid tells him, thank you. We will see you again. And goes back to his ship and another hand reaches out and pulls him in. So there's two in the craft and then flies away. Now, Indrid had been seen a few other times around then, uh, kind of loosely, kind of vaguely seen in New Jersey by a bunch of kids, seen in another place. Uh, he didn't really make much buzz at the time. It, it hit the local papers and uh, they did recording an interview with him. Uh, but John Keel, who comes down to that area to investigate the Mothman sightings just shortly thereafter, uh, he's thrilled with Indrid Cold's story, and he's obsessed with it. So he ties Indrid to 
Mothman, and so there's the big scene in Mothman prophecies where he's getting called by Indrid Cold, which we don't know if that really happened. That's John Keel, you know, mm -hmm. it's just the nature of the business. But now I had evidence that Indrid Cold was basically one of the first men in black suddenly working for the government down in a Miami sighting six months after his initial appearance. Mm -hmm. uh, now that man who I talked to is a government employee still. Uh, he's an elected official. Uh, so he doesn't want his name publicized or anything like that. And he doesn't want that paper out, but he let me take a picture of it and he will release it when he's ready. If he doesn't get reelected in the fall, it'll be coming out very quickly but if he does get reelected well maybe four more years uh mm -hmm. but uh but we're gonna you know keep our eyes on things uh but he knows what it is now and he understands the importance of that paper so but we were able to tie the story in and put that into this book so mm -hmm. so that's how we talked about Endred, and that there, there's Endred for you he's a he's a crazy character and there's a lot to him so yeah it's i do wonder when i listening listening to the uh petersburg sorry the the west virginia case if indrid cold was already a men in black trying to catch somebody who may have seen something and ended up getting derailed talking to the salesman if yeah. that's a possibility it's it, it's it interesting anyway and now, yeah. now we talked to tanya derenberger who is um you know the the daughter of uh of uh, woody who was the original person and she has written a couple books uh, called Beyond Lanulus, which is the planet Indrid is supposedly from, and uh, how Woody had gone back and forth to that planet several times with Indrid. And uh, and so she, too, talks about her visits with him and how he still watches her family and stuff mm -hmm. to this day. And uh, uh, she's an amazing person, too. And uh, and she lives right up there by you all up near Cincinnati. Oh. So, and... Um, you know, she talked to her sometime. She's awesome. That oh, sounds nice. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Indra Cold was interesting. And it's been a long time since I read anything about him mm -hmm. until the book. And I was like, oh, yeah. it's. I think it feels like original Unsolved Mysteries level of age it's, since I've heard about It's a crazy story. Uh, what's amazing is, uh, you know, the Mothman Museum in Point Pleasant has the original Derenberger recordings from yeah. the initial interviews still on the reel to reels you know, preserved there, uh, which is, you know, amazing to see. So yeah. um, amongst all the other incredible artifacts they have at that place. So. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's so you do talk a lot about Mothman and I know our listeners have heard a lot about Mothman. So we're yeah. going to save Mothman for anyone who wants to purchase the book. You can read all about that. And we're going to move on to the Grafton monster. If you oh, don't mind. Yeah. Oh, not at all. I know Grafton. it's just a little bit of a jump, but no, no, it's fine. That's that's you know, and that's honestly the reason you know we're doing this book is you know we we I really when we started it was all the major mm -hmm. ones we wanted to hit. We wanted to hit Mothman. We wanted to hit you know uh, you know uh, Indrid. We you know the things we needed to tie Flatwoods. We needed to tie in to these mm -hmm. things, and then uh, and so of course that meant Grafton had to be in there. Loveland had to be in yes, there. Loveland, yeah, you know, Loveland all, is all also the, in there. Mm -hmm. Yep. We had to put the major ones, but one of our favorite things is finding the bit more obscure. And Grafton, he's becoming more famous, but he was often, he's kind of the, the redheaded stepchild of the cryptid monsters because 
he only had one major sighting at one point and it wasn't until more recent sightings that we felt okay there is more to him now uh the grafton monster sighting is you know it's classic he's a reporter he's coming home from work and he's driving and he sees what he thinks is a rock slide you know you know that he hadn't seen on his way to work so he stops to report on it because he's a reporter (laughs) yeah curiosity yep all reporters and then it moves you know this this rock slide suddenly he realizes it's not rock it's it's like a seal, like a wet seal, a slick surface. And then he looks at it and it's got like a sunken head and weird big shoulders. And I mean, the original descriptions basically describe it as what would be a kind of a hairless Sasquatch, mm-hmm. uh, similar to some of the Mothman appearances, mm-hmm. similar to things like that. So it's this unusual creature uh, with a strange face, a uh, strange you know, movement to it. Um, it gets out. And of course the entire town turns out the next day to hunt the monster. It's, uh, you know, they came and they investigated it. They just found some crushed grass, some unusual things, but you know, could be anything. Um, and it kind of, then the next couple of weeks later, he has to write a retraction, right? Oh, it was, <laughs> I, I don't know what I was talking about. It was, I obviously saw something that I didn't understand. Uh, forget about it. Just pretend it doesn't exist. But then years pass and people do see it again. It's just not recorded well. Mm-hmm. People ignore it. People pushed it away. It didn't get in the paper again because the paper didn't want to be a, a laughing stock again. Um, but some places did document it. So we were able to find some further down the line sightings that most people don't talk about. Uh, the plus side is, is that it's been seen recently. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like in the you know, early 2000s. So, um, again, a guy in the same general area, not too close, say a few miles away, uh, saw something that he couldn't describe that looked very gray, slick. He described it as a hairless gorilla. Mm-hmm. And then when you compare that description with, original Grafton description, suddenly it makes a little more sense. And um, so he just thought it was a, a hairless escaped gorilla. And, mm. uh, you know, and again, would have been a blip anywhere else. But the fact that it's near Grafton, suddenly, you know, you look into it. Yeah. And I, I wanted to point out the illustrations, Carrie, that you did both for the Grafton monster, which is one reason why I wanted to talk about it, because it's very noticeable. It's it feels like you drew something that should have been an X-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I I like it a lot. And also that you do a good illustration of Indrid Cold as well in the oh, book. Thank you. I yeah. was really trying to like have a weird feeling to it, but would not make him look too weird. Because everyone really over exaggerates his smile and gives him like the Joker smile. And that's oh, like really a Glasgow weird. smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of the original descriptions say that. They all just say he smiled, but he was yeah, just like overly and, and friendly, very cordial smile. I, I did like the one person described him as having, uh, oh, what was it, uh, Norman Osborn hair from the comics, and so this was a <laughs> 1960s description of him. Yeah. So suddenly, I'm so we were looking back up Jack Kirby 1960s 
Norman Osborne hair for it. So yeah. uh, we had to pull that up, which was yeah, fun. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, just like over enthusiastic Midwesterner should have been how it was described. Yeah. Just like yeah. we'll definitely I'm, show now, we'll definitely show your image mm -hmm. here. So oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and now it, yeah. he's called the grinning man in some, you know, according to creepy pastas and mm -hmm. SCPs as they like to exaggerate the stories and continue them. You know, it's yeah. always fun. I will say that there, there. I don't think this is related to the Smiley Man Killer. No. I think those are two different things. Uh, agreed. No. Yeah. Agreed. There so. are two of those also. Yeah. Smiley yeah. Face uh, Killers. Yeah. It's, it's like there's Sorry. two Bunny Mans, and there's two. Uh, you know, uh, we have a character down here in St. Pete called the the Dancing Ghost, and uh, people associate him with the 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 Smiling Dancer. And it's like they're two completely different things. It's, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, we do have, you do talk about the Loveland Frogman. And also, you visited all these locations as well. You're not oh, yeah. doing armchair research. You visited all the photos are either illustrations provided by Carrie or they're photos provided by you, Mark. It's, it's, I love that as, as a former anthropologist. I really love that when people are going out and interviewing and into the field. And uh, going to the places and meeting the people. So what did you think? Of, have you ever been to Loveland Castle before? What did you think about a, it? I had been as a child uh, when I grew up. I grew up in the Dayton area for a few years. I down Carlisle, uh, uh, Middletown. And okay. then uh, uh, in the 70s. And my dad was a uh, vice president for Greyhound. Out okay. of Dayton, and then he resituated to Charleston, West Virginia. So I knew every little bus stop everywhere because i would ride around with my dad it was just mm -hmm. what we did uh and uh so i got to know all these little towns and all the weird places and loveland i knew for the castle i honestly didn't know about the frogs at the time when i was a kid you know mm -hmm. man i can imagine i would have lived for that back then uh but um i just knew our little monsters you know from our holler and our family land in kentucky so um and I knew Bigfoot and, you know, and, and Nessie because of In Search Of and all that at the time. And, uh, you know, and that's that's what we knew back then. And, uh, you know, there wasn't this thing called the Internet. Uh, and uh, but, you know, then reading about Loveland over the years and like, I got to get back up there. And I and I had vague memories of the castle. I just, uh, and uh, I think at the time, I don't think it was finished the last time I had been there when I was a kid. Probably not. So, yeah, uh, which had been early 70s. Yeah, it got so, finished it, in 83, 82. Yeah, so that would have been, yeah, I, I don't ever remember being finished. But I remember now when we drove to it, it was amazing. And it's uh, there was a wedding going on the day Ooh. we were there. And uh, and then the uh, Carrie didn't make it to that one. So, yeah, she was. We have to go back. There's. Still yeah, there was. I had, there were a couple of days she was taking care of baby spiders and couldn't drive Aww. with, so I had to go on a couple of the runs on my own. So, but uh, that one was cool because I got to talk to the guy. That was when I learned about the ghost in the castle that you know the guy who had created it, but also some of the artifacts that he had brought in had things attached. So yes. there are several ghosts there now. There uh, are, which you know goes off in a whole different direction for that story. So, mm -hmm. but the frogmen are just. That's an amazing story, you know. Uh, you know, a businessman sees it, this creature on the side of the road, big reptilian critter, two or three feet tall. He follows it over the guardrail, and then it meets two others, and he's watching it. And then he makes some noise, and one of them pulls a wand on him. 
a magic wand. <laughs> I love that and wand. It. And then and then and, and then he and then he, and he runs because the wand shoots sparks at him. And uh, and then it's forgotten about, and then 10 years later, 20 years later, 20, almost, it was 20 years 70 later. Yep. the cop, a cop yeah. in the same area sees a giant frog creature and he follows it over the guardrail and it jumps into the water and he reports it. And then suddenly it's back and everybody's talking about the Loveland Frogman. And again, suddenly his buddy, another cop a week later to calm things down. Oh, it was just an iguana with no tail. <laughs> And I shot it, and it's dead now. So stop, stop worrying about it. <laughs> well, where's, where's the body? Oh, oh, no, I threw it away. It was disgusting. It was gross. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know, is it, it? What did they see? Did did they debunk it? No, they yeah, they were clear in his buddy's name. So mm -hmm. um, they both recanted, and then both later on both said the recant was a fake. So you know, it's. <laughs> Uh, you know, deathbed confessions are always exciting. No, we uh, But um, the plus side is, recently, uh, right before the book went to press, I after I had made my trip up there, I met a few paranormal teams, and a paranormal team reached out to me and said that they had gone to investigate the ghosts. And while they were investigating ghosts, something unusual jumped out of the forest at them. He's like, I can't swear it was what it was, but it looked like a giant reptile on two legs and it jumped into the water not far from the castle and yeah. so now he's like i saw a frogman i'm pretty sure i saw a frogman yeah it's because the loveland castle is right on the little miami river right like they it when it floods the knights of the golden trail start getting very nervous because it starts going up and into the garden and everything so yeah it's i can believe it that entire area is very I'm going to sound silly. It's mystical feeling. It's it's a lot of that. I mean, and that ties into, you know, it's not too far from Serpent Mound. It's not too far from Alligator Mound. It's, it's it's you know, you've got Wright Pat, just a little far, it's not, not too far away. not that far from it's, Fort Ancient. Yeah, Fort Ancient culture, mm -hmm. yeah, the Medina, the Hopewell, all that, all right there. And, uh, and that's what we were realizing when we were doing this book is everything tied so much together. And it's, you know, you start thinking, oh, it's this little triangle. No, it's a little bit bigger. Oh, no, it's 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 the whole damn mountain range. And it, and it, and it goes from Alabama all the way up to Quebec. It's yeah. crazy. And then if you really think about it, the Appalachians, before everything split apart, the Scottish Highlands are the same damn mountains mm -hmm. geographically, just, you know, because of a couple of geological events. So they're weird, too. You know, that's yeah. where all this stuff comes from. So Yeah. Pangea, man, yeah. made such a strange world. Actually, that brings us to um, basically the Crosswick Snake, which we've talked about because we've had with our anthology, two different artists and writer teams worked on it. So our listeners are familiar with the Crosswick Snake, but it was interesting because you brought up, and this is very personal, a forgotten memory of mine reading your book. And oh. I was just like, I turned to my husband who he... I don't want to say tolerates the paranormal stuff, but it's just like, okay, it's, this is your thing. I respect your thing. And I'm like, yes. And so I was freaking out about this. So one of the things, one of the creatures you bring up is the Crosswick snake, which I said, our listeners are very used to that 1882 snake, child, doctor and thing. Yeah. 
And um, so that's really brief, like, points. They they yeah. chop down the tree, snake gets away. It's seen twice in the preceding years, and then we haven't seen it again since the 1880s. So, but you bring up the Great Lynx um, mound that is up. It's Alligator Mound now. Alligator Mound. Yeah, that's up in Newton. Newtown? Yeah. Yeah, Newtown, yeah, Ohio. Right in that, that area, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I can't remember if they pronounce it Newtown or Newton. That was just it's, me. It just depends on who you talk to. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> which I went up there to write about their old looking county jail, which is super duper haunted. Super haunted, yep. Yeah. And and talk to the caretakers then. And I did not have enough time to go visit these mounds because I love I love me some Fort Ancient Mounds. Anyway, that can be taken weird. Any <laughs> I'm gonna move on from that. So um it was it was kind of fun because you're you're writing and you have a wonderful outline of the alligator mound, which with explanation that anthropologists and uh, Native American uh, sociologists now don't believe it's an alligator. They believe it's actually an image of the great lynx, which is Mishi Peshtu. And, um, and talking about then the water panther or the underwater panther. And I'm like, okay, I'm reading about this. I'm like, I grew up in northern Indiana in a town called Mishawaka, which is a Potawatomi name. And Potawatomi, we have the Pokagon band of Potawatomi is native to my area. And one of the places that I grew up in, uh, every summer I would go up to a camp called Red Bud, which is on the banks of the St. Joe River. And it's not too far away from the Pokagon band's actual headquarters, which is in Jawajek, Michigan. This is Buchanan, Michigan. And we would have the Pokagon would do um, powwows and come teach the kids like, this is our culture. These are our stories. And they would tell us about something that got a little butchered in my youth. They called it the tiger shark of the St. Joe River. Mm. And And they're like, it had a fearsome head like a panther's. And then it had scales and mighty claws and then a long tail and body. And it it swims on the water and it causes drownings and it does all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, that sounds terrifying. I'm never swimming in the St. Joe river. And to this day, I still have it. And they give offerings when they go canoeing and all that stuff. And I'm reading it and I'm reading your book and I go, Oh my God, they're talking about the underwater Panther. And I will say in Potawatomi, it's Nabeja is how they pronounce it in that particular area. But I was just like, found memory i had completely forgotten about this story and they didn't highlight it as a ghost story they're just like this is a part of our culture this is a creature or an entity that is both positive and negative it brings good things it brings bad things and it fights the thunderbirds and i was just like wow so that is my own little personal story of a found memory from your book that i enjoyed a lot so thank you for writing about that oh no 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 problem and that's just it it's one of those things it's like the Crosswick Serpent, nobody associates it with the underwater panther. But when you read the descriptions, mm-hmm. it, is exactly the Crosswick Serpent. I mean, it's almost identical. It's like maybe a mini version you know, of it because it's got the swirly tail. It's got the strange claws. It's got the weird head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so suddenly is this legendary beast, not only a legendary beast, is it a mythological yeah, that is no longer mythological. Is this now a real creature that existed? And mm-hmm. so they called it this. 
I mean, I love that basically, you know, the, the early settlers in the area, you know, came in and they said, what is this mound? And the natives told them, oh, this is the great beast that lives in the water, and eats our people. And, and, and it has a spiky tail and, it, you know, and they go, oh, that's an alligator. And you're like, <laughs> and like no, that's, it's Mishibishu. Well, it's our word for it's alligator. So trust us, just call it an alligator. Okay. And so the natives, you know, and so, you know, the reason it's called alligator mound, racism. Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, so when they all died out and, and mansplaining, new, it's racism and mansplaining. Yep. And then the new people move into the area and go, what's this mound? What's this strange creature? Oh, those people who lived here, they called it alligator mound and, and they insisted it was an alligator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, no, no, they didn't. And, it, you know, it's like the serpent mound is the great serpent mound. It's not the serpent eating the, you know, the apple from, mm-hmm. from Eden, like the original white man thought it was. It's, yeah. it's the great serpent, the creature under the water, uh, under the earth, and then the, the leader of the underworld. And then, you know, and so, you know, it's it's funny how those all three match. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, then it's like suddenly Crosswick, which is just a short distance from there. Did they not know about this monster? Of course they might have known about this monster. And, you know, and they would have been worshiping it because this is a giant dinosaur. They didn't describe it as a dinosaur. They didn't describe it. As, they called it a snake with legs. I mean, come mm-hmm. on. And, and and Carrie had so much fun drawing that one. So, yeah, that, I think Claudius posed for that one a little bit, though, because it <laughs> definitely has a Claudius head. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it was just remarkable. And all of them, there's a shared culture running throughout all of that because you have the Fort Ancient and the Hopewell and Adena cultures. And that goes into the Odawa and the Ojibwe and Potawatomi and Algonquin. And it just keeps going. So yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful, I liked it. I really love how you incorporated first nation and native American stories because those are really needing to be, they, they explain a lot. And especially in this area and around Appalachia, they're everywhere. Like I live 10 minutes away from a Fort ancient mound that they built a water tower on top of in Norwood, Ohio, which is, it kills me every time I look at that water tower and I'm like, you couldn't have made it 300 feet, the other direct, any direction. No, you just had to put it on the mound. You had to ruin all of that. But that's just in Florida. We just bulldozed the mounds. So, you know, it was, they they were used as landfill for, you know, for everything. And, you know, and the Tierra Verde is all paved was the original paving stones were just stuff they pulled out of the shell middens, uh, which is nuts. So, and it's um, no, all the, the native stuff I I have to cater to my, uh, I I cater to my, uh, I I seek out the, uh, the help of local experts and native experts. uh, Usually, uh, Al going back the Bram Stoker winning author who is uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, he's who helps me with all the Seminole legends down here, and he helps me reach out to the various, you know, tribal influences that I need to talk to to you know, who can help me. And uh, uh, Sally Gage helped me with reaching out to some of the Ojibwe Nation and stuff like that. So that's mm-hmm. how I was able to get so much on that. Plus, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have a lot of anthropology friends up in the university system that help us out too. So yes, they're always happy to talk about it. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, so now, now let's get to some of the holler stories. Yes. This yes. Is, this I, I really love so that. Yeah. I, I I read through all Mothman and Loveland Frogman. I'm like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. But then <laughs> you get into the more personal stories of all the little hollers and the individual culture 
within each one of them that would bring around this creature. So, and, and you describe very quickly about the mouth house and a holler and then yeah. all the out the out the not outhouses not like yeah. that there were the houses on the outskirts that would be along the basically the forest line and if you yeah. could for our listeners describe a little bit of how the demographics of a holler work basically okay. so what a holler is is a hollow or a valley for those of us who aren't from that area and uh I grew up in one, so you know this is kind of how it works. Uh, uh, is that basically you have you know the mouth of the holler, which is where the road meets the mainland, and then you're going to go down into this little valley, usually along a creek, or just the way the road goes back to whatever was back there. And so the mouth of the holler is kind of the public face, and the the people who live in that house are the ones who are the eyes. They're they're also the you know the public facing, so they. They're watching. They see when some strange car comes down that they don't recognize. They're the ones who call down the road and say, hey, uh, you know, we need to, you know, keep the, what's this? You know, is anybody expecting company? You know, uh, and then but it's also this thing about holler life is that everybody looks out for each other, you know, in this holler. If, if somebody hasn't been seen for a couple of days, Oh, we go over and check on them. And, you know, if, oh, one of them's sick. We're going to go take care of their dogs. We're going to go take care of their land and, you know, you know, feed and water the horses. It, it's just everybody helps each other in this holler. And it's not just family. It usually is one or two families. But uh, you know, when somebody moves in to that area within a generation, you're you're part of the family and you're, you're portion. So like the secondary people are the ones that, OK, it's a government guy. So let's let the bigger dogs out. Uh, you know, it's a, you know, whatever, we don't, we don't need these people hanging around. Uh, but then in the back, it's the, the back of the holler, the, the bunk, the get out, they, they call it, or the bunker. Uh, yeah. that's where, or you know, bug out, I think uh, is what's used. Yeah. Mima and Peepaw live and all that. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and Mama and Papa, and depending on what valley you're in. And, uh, they're the ones who not only, you know, are the safe place, but they're also the place with all the storage in case the storm comes. And they're the place with the shelter. They're the place with the tornado bunker. Uh, you know, they've usually got the bigger barn uh, so that all the animals can get put in there in the whole valley if we need to. Uh, but they're also the ones that are the keepers of the tales and also the keepers of the secrets and also the keepers of, you know, hey, we need to leave an offering for the wild man. You know, and so we... We put the honey out for them. We put the peanut butter out for them. We, you know, we feed the, the bear, you know, mm -hmm. in the cave nearby. You know, we feed them so that they don't come ramaging for other things. They've all got their little, you know, things. And if you get into a holler and you're accepted, you will never be more welcome and never be more loved than living in that area, you know, in that community. Um, but also they're kind of not welcoming of outsiders for the most part because, this is the way we are. But thanks to us doing this, it's like I the problem is so many of these little stories and these little things are going away. Uh, the mamas and papas are dying off. It's and the kids of today are, you know, they're playing on you know they're the not phones. Staying and, in the holler. Yeah, and they're moving out and going to get jobs elsewhere and all that. Mm -hmm. So so these stories are disappearing. Ooh, yeah, there's there's, there's <laughs> Minnie Lightning, our voodoo queen of St. Petersburg. Bringing us under. Yeah, we've got quite a storm going. Uh, but um, um, uh, it's it's less than a category one. We don't care. Uh, but, um, yeah, Florida, 
if it's not category five, even then, as long as they're keeping the Waffle House open, we're fine. Yeah. Um, um, if I have family in Oklahoma. Open, we're all gone. We're all I gone. Know. Yeah, mm-hmm. with that. Uh, but um, but yeah, no, it's it's so it was. I was getting emails from when I reached out to to groups, and I'd be like, "Hey, I'd like to know your stories. I want to pr- claim these stories. I want to protect these stories because that's what we do. Is a lot of these stories, you know, if even stuff we wrote about in Erie has been bulldozed. That's just mm-hmm. five years uh, yeah. from Erie, Florida. So it's like, and and it's gone now. But we were one of the last things to document it. So I wanted to make sure I documented these legends and these folklore legends. And I had a holler monster of my own that was part of my family that thankfully over the last few generations, my nephews and nieces and, and I have restored it to familiarity. Have they seen it? Uh, one has. Now I've got Yay. several cousins who have seen it, you know, my generation. Okay, so we brought this up. We shouldn't really tease it too much. It oh, was, no. I'm going to be honest, my favorite story out of the entire book. Oh, yay. Yes, yay. And, and it's. I just loved it because it was a personal experience and you yes. talk, You knew the area well and could explain it. So um, I know it's not the Snarly Gaster, but if you could just talk about the bench leg. Yeah. Please. The yes. bench leg of Gobel Ridge. It sounds yes. like something out of South Park, right? It kind of uh, does. Yeah, yeah it's uh, growing up hearing this story of a creature that land that's on our family land in Kentucky, and it has the body of a cow, a small cow, or a large cat. It's very dark, and it has a misshapen head that maybe looks humanish, uh, but kind of glows. And then it has a wooden leg and it sits up in treetops. And if you ride under it on your horse, it'll whoop you in the head with its, with its whoop ass stick. And you know, that it's his leg and knock you off. It's the craziest story. Right. And, and as a kid, I want monster stories. I want ghost stories. What the hell is this stupid creature <laughs> that my dad is trying to tell me is, is scaring everybody and haunting this vill- you know, this, this whole holler. <laughs> and um and it made no sense and um it's you know, a fantastic beast let me just say that totally totally um but then you know you as you grow older you know as i was a kid we're out spending the nights down there and i brought my friends from charleston the city you know over to louisa which is middle of nowhere and the the, the adults had the big trailer with had cable and fans and electricity and all that. Uh, and we had this old airstream we had salvaged from the sixties and chased all the snakes out of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and reclaimed it and it would be our place to hide, mm-hmm. uh, down a mile away from the rest of the, the family. And I'd have a couple friends there and I had a BB gun and they didn't. So it was like, all right, I'm, I'm safe. You know, never mind. There's bears and, uh, you know, tons of other things on that property, but, it was the seventies. Nobody cared. You know, you, as long as you came back in the morning and they found us, we weren't dead. Yeah. It was a win. So, you know, um, uh, I can't imagine that now. Uh, but anyway, uh, we were camping out down there one night and we heard hoof beats and I'm thinking, Oh, it's, uh, one of the horses in the nearby field is into our land. It happens. Hmm. And then a second one came by and I'm like, okay, something spooked the horses. I knew there were only two horses. Then I hear more movement. And I'm thinking, is that a deer? 
Is it what else has been stirred up? You know, is, is maybe there is a bear. So cock my little BB gun. <laughs> I'm ready to scare the hell out of whatever big monster is coming to get us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, my friends are wishing they had BB guns standing next to me. And suddenly I see something I can't explain. It's a dark shape with a possibly, it was a glow about its head. It was ugly. I couldn't tell if it was humanish. I swear I kept trying to see if it had a wooden leg, uh, <laughs> but it loped off into the woods. I can't explain it. It was, it could have just been a big cat with some fox fire. I don't know. I, and it, and it stuck with me. <laughs> and so there's, you know, my bench leg encounter. So it stuck with me. And as a, you know, growing up, loving monsters, running our own haunted house, I always kept the bench leg in the back of my head. And suddenly I find an article in an old 1700s paper near our land where a peddler had been killed on that road by brigands it was an old paper, so it wasn't bandits or robbers. Mm-hmm. And he had resisted with a stick, uh, you know, a stout stick. And uh, and they had covered up the murder by killing his cow on top of his body. So suddenly it's a ghost story. Yeah. A vengeance spirit. And it mm-hmm. makes sense. And did, is it so is it a cryptid? Is it a paranormal? Yeah. It's a hollow monster. And that's what they all blend into. They all mm-hmm. fiddle with it. Is that. it a tulpa? Like, because it, it, it's, and it isn't, it's an interesting blend of both the peddler and his ox. So, yeah. Yeah. And I do like how there are a lot more stories that are more of what would be like a chimera type entity. You, in, in world history, there's a lot more of those than you find in North America, in particular to the, white settler stories but as we just talked about with native american and first people stories there's a lot more of it not yeah. saying that bench leg is tied to that but saying there's a yeah, wampus cat and wampus cat and mm-hmm. all that those are all just like that Little exactly variations on a theme mm-hmm. yeah so it almost sounded like a wampus cat but it's like grouchy old man cat yeah exactly <laughs> and that's exactly if it had come from a different, you know, my family is, you know, German, Scottish, and Romanian, the you know, mm-hmm. Romani. So that's why it became the bench leg, you know, it's mm-hmm. you know, our version of it. I'm sure the German name for it was probably something closer, and it just translates as bench leg. It's like Snallygaster is, is Schnellgeist, mm-hmm. which is fast ghost, you know, mm-hmm. fast spirit. Mm-hmm. So suddenly Snallygaster, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, that's the words get corrupted and yeah. so i'm sure bench leg is something i don't know what the original german would have been for it but i would love to find out yeah i'm exactly. hoping more research on that will eventually turn up things yeah so carrie how difficult was it how many times did you have to draw bench leg to get it right <laughs> a couple times because i was like okay so it's a small cowy body it's kind of got a man head and he'd be like no, it's uglier. It's more misshapen. I was like, okay, all right, got to make this more ugly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the first one was actually kind of cute and uh, very Pokemon. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, a bitch like Pokemon would be fun. <laughs> um, I'm looking it up right now because I remember just going through, just flipping through the stories, and it it was. 
<laughs> I'm not going to show it because one, it would be terrible with my camera, but I remember it flipped open and I'm just like, what, what am I looking at? <laughs> my, uh... And then I had to read it. I, I went out of order because usually like start at the beginning of the book, read through. No, I went out of order. I'm like, I have to know what this is. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It good. was, uh, it's, it's one of those, what's fun is my nephew, uh, he o he opened a hair uh, salon in Kalamazoo, uh, Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, uh, there's like one Kalamazoo. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I always have to explain people where it is though, because everyone says Kalamazoo. Is that in another country? No, <laughs> it uh, just feels uh, like it. It yeah. feels like it. Yeah, uh, but anyway, personally he, test. Yeah, he decided he's he, he's a big fan of the bench leg stories and all that, so he brought a bench leg beard cream. Uh, to the audience for a Halloween special one year and had Carrie do the art for the jar. Oh. Uh, and um, it's been, that's like one of his best sellers every Halloween. So it's a limited edition. Watch for it. So oh, Samson's like hair that. care, Adam, there's your plug. You owe me a dollar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. It looks like Walter Matthau's head has been put onto <laughs> an ox with a plank leg. Yeah, that's we'll definitely be showing right? this. We'll definitely be showing this. Oh yes. yes. Yeah. So if you're watching on YouTube, you'll get to see the picture. If not delightfully grouchy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's we talked. We did. I'm I'm finding we had a nice throwaway into another story. Oh, vengeance! That was it. To screaming Jenny. <laughs> screaming Jenny. Now, so <laughs> this is my Sorry. story. Uh, because it started as a um, now there are a couple screaming Jennies throughout the Appalachians, mm -hmm. and I was looking up one in, near Harper's Ferry uh, that was killed by a railroad train, and yeah, so it's a famous screaming ghost, and and then I was reaching out to people about it, and suddenly I get this email from completely on the other end, down in Alabama, uh, from a family and a lady who is related to an aunt Jenny. Uh, and um, who was known as a ghost called Screaming Jenny later. <laughs> and her story was amazing. Apologize. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, her story was amazing about her aunt. And then I start looking her up and I realize she's this folk hero, right on par with the Greenbrier ghost up in mm -hmm. West Virginia as this famous legendary character. And the more I read about her, the more I fell in love with her. Um, and she was born in Kentucky uh, and, uh, L Jane Louisa, uh, and she, um, uh, married a man named Willis Brooks and she was every description of her is described as this most beautiful young girl with, uh, it was half Cherokee. So she had all the dark features, but with striking blue eyes. Um, and everybody just talks about how beautiful her eyes are. And she's 14 and she marries Willis Brooks, who's 20 years or senior. But it was common at the time. And from what I understand, gross. they were very happy because yeah. they had nine kids. Whoa. <laughs> and they oh moved goodness. to Alabama. God bless her. You know, nine kids. So she's in her 20s with nine kids. Oh. And he's in his 40s. And the Civil War breaks out. <laughs> and they're in It just North gets Alabama. worse. Yeah. Oh, oh, this just this is a trail. It just gets worse. This is a trail that you will enjoy. I promise you. It pays off in the end. Um, so in North Alabama, it's kind of they're kind of at that point where they Alabama didn't really care 
about the Civil War at that point. This was this was the second year of the war. Um, it was a rich man's war and the poor man's fight. And the, the, they didn't want a part of it. You know, it was, you know, rich people could get out of the war by paying $300 to have somebody else fight for them. Uh, they didn't have to get drafted if they had more than 30 slaves. So, <clears throat> yeah, the poor people just didn't care. Right. They're like, we're, we're kind of, you know, this is kind of neutral zone area. Mm-hmm. But, um, and Jenny's husband, Willis, he, kind of was outspoken against the South. And so the Confederate Guard, which were basically the tax collector slash police force, the guys who were too old to fight in a war, but too young to be drafted, they would enforce, you know, what they thought was the right laws. And so they went to Willis's inn that he and Jenny were running with their kids and said, all right, you're coming with us to war. And he said, no, I'm too old. And, um, they're like, well, we're taking your son. Well, he's too young. My oldest son is too young. And like, well, one of you's coming. And so he fights back. And so they decide they're going to hang him. And then the oldest son can't let his dad get hung. So he goes and grabs a gun and he runs outside. They shoot the boy dead. And then they shoot the dad dead and made the family watch. And then they ride off. Now, Jane, she... Rather than just being overwhelmed with grief, she grabs her children and she embraces that Cherokee heritage and she has them all put their hands on the blooded wounds and then she makes all of her children swear a Cherokee blood oath that none of them will rest till the killers of the family are brought to justice. She begins to train her kids. These are young kids. And she raises them as gunmen and fighters and tough guys. She has them join gangs and become the toughest guys in the West. They join law enforcement and become some of the most famous lawmen in history. The Brooks gang uh, becomes, they, they get in a feud with another family that it rivals the Hatfields and McCoys. They actually work on the sides of the Hatfields and McCoys on both sides of the battle at different times as gunmen. And they hunt down several of the men of the eight. They get seven. Jenny herself gets two of them. She goes by the name aunt Jenny now. And she um, has gets married again and has 10 more kids after her trail of vengeance has kind of oh run a course. It's a lot Ooh. of kids. 19 kids. Uh, she lives to be 98. Mm-hmm. 98 at this it's like time. Like a superwoman. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like how is she not everybody? America's hero, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but all of her kids uh, from their original marriage eventually died off in various gunfights and battles. One of her sons famously was in a gunfight with 20 men. And she was so proud because he took out six. Uh, and she's wow. like, they all died with their boots on. No, they all went out like men. No one ever gave our family any crap anymore. We took nothing from nobody. Uh, famously, one of her lines is, I wasted many a keg of powder teaching them boys how to shoot. But it was well worth it. Wow. So, um, so anyway, on her deathbed, she's in her homestead in Alabama. And she's... She's on her deathbed and she asks the priest to bring the last, her soap dish that she had made years ago, handmade 
so that she could wash away her sins. She's just done. It's it's time. And he brings her the dish and she washes her hands and then she expires, goes away. And as the priest is carrying the soap dish away, he realizes it's this odd shape and he realizes she's made it out of the skull of the man she killed the first one. You know, uh, so how badass do you have to be on your deathbed to demand the soap dish skull of the man you killed? One got away, away, and that is why she is now screaming, Jenny, the goat Mm -hmm. that haunts the Appalachian Trail to hunt these men. She's hunting the last one or the descendant of the last one, and she's a banshee with her bright blue eyes and a dark shape and that scream. Uh, But if you go out this crazy logging trail in the middle of nowhere, Alabama, you can go to her grave. Uh, Her tombstone had been stolen many times over the years, so they finally put this giant slab there, and people leave offerings for her with names of people they would like her to take care of. Whoa. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I need to go see her. She's, I'm a Jenny, man. I I can relate. Mary Robert the doll-esque, you know. That is amazing. Yep. So if any, if you're out there, you know, you can Google her and find out where she is. But I got to talk to one of her nieces or grandnieces, Whoa. and uh, that's where I learned this whole story firsthand. Wow! So, Amazing, um, and it's it's incredible. And uh, I hope that you know, talk about documentary waiting to happen, mm-hmm. right? Or, yeah. or, or or at least six part Netflix series. Come on, this, yeah, that feels like a um, historical drama period piece that needs to be made. Yeah. I was like, going to say um, the beginning sounded like the Patriot, right? Very similar. Where, to yeah. Yep. I mean, then it didn't. It goes a different direction. It goes. In, yeah. It goes this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that that does feel like it should be a historical drama piece. And there's for pictures of her, you know, at 98 years old before she died, and you can you can find that the family had records of her and everything, which mm-hmm. is amazing. I loved her quotes. Oh, or yeah. just some of some of that family history is just gold. So. Yeah. So still on the paranormal true crime, we, we mentioned the Greenbrier ghost not that yeah. long ago. I thought Jen would love this one. Jen, this story is for you. You, you don't know the Greenbrier ghost? No. Oh, this, this you can is... tap the screaming Jenny. I don't I know mean, if I'm I a screaming, screaming Jenny, Jenny, but this one has has actual documentation that rivals anything. So yes. wow. okay. this right. is a court case. Where ghost testimony was used. Yes. Zona Hester Shue was another yeah. beautiful young bride. And um, she was uh, in the area of Greenbrier, West Virginia. And um, she died tragically. They, uh, a young boy comes in, sees her you know, on the ground. She's you know dead. She She's runs in front of her down. staircase. Just yes, right at the bottom of the staircase. You Just know. like the staircase. Yep. Except for exactly. no owls. Yep. So they, he runs to town to get the husband. And the husband is so distraught. He gets there and he's he's holding her. The doctor shows. And uh, you know, he's doing the investigation. And the, and the husband is so sad. He just won't let go of, of the bride. Won't let go. And so the doctor's like, oh, it was a, was it a long faint? <laughs> was the description. Which would have been heart attack, you know, we would have called it. Um, 
but then so they're prepping the body for immediate burial um as as the husband's like she insisted on immediate burial and he puts this fancy scarf around her it was her favorite scarf and he won't leave her side you know the other you know the family all comes to view the body and the husband just refuses to leave the head of the body you know just yeah. standing right there just so distraught and the, the scarf head. is around the neck scarf very tightly wrapped around the neck so she's buried and life goes on until the ghost shows up to her sister's house zona shows up and says my husband strangled me i did not die uh like this and um and please, please, you know, you've got, and his name is Trout. And she's like, what? You know, his name is completely different. So turns out he had an assumed name and had a previous marriage where he was named Trout. And his previous wife had died tragically uh, while they were fixing a chimney and a rock had slipped out of his hands and fell on her head. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's this guy's it and he had a previous it marriage. Happened to anyone, could have happened to anybody. He had a previous marriage before that that had died tragically. So, this guy, you know, a little unlucky in love. He should have been um, named Butterfingers. So, doc, they 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 go to the you know, to the legal offices, and and the prosecutor's like, I can't base things on a ghost, you know, you know. And all this, but they're like, well, can you look up his name? And it was finding that name that they were able to go, okay, he has a previous marriage and strange circumstances. So they were allowed to dig up the body. And then, and he was protesting that like crazy, you know, and finally, famously, he's quoted as saying, well, even if you do find anything, you can't prove it was me. Great, great quote. In other words, I get it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, um, so anyway, they find that he she was strangled, and uh, and so he is sent to jail, and they famously say it was not the ghost that sent him to jail. It was the fact that he had an assumed name, and we figured it out. No, but you totally the ghost without the ghosts. Exactly, they would never even looked into it if it hadn't yeah. been the ghost story. Yeah. So, uh, so she has a marker uh, that uh, a historical marker on the road. And then it's a short distance from her grave uh, and you can go visit her grave and people leave her, you know, markings as well, uh, you know, as, as tributes because she's the one that got, got vengeance, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a legal precedent for a ghost causing the solving of her own murder. Yep. So she's a folklore hero in West Virginia because, hey, abused women everywhere would love to be able to do that. That's an awesome story. Yeah. It's a beautiful grave too. And it's uh, behind a, uh, I forget. It's something soul cemetery as uh, the, the church is something soul and it's up in the middle of the mountains. And it, we, we were there in the fall and it was just beautiful. Was, you know, everything you can expect. Yeah. Road trip. How close yeah. is it? Is trans Allegheny in the same state? I can't yeah. Remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trans Allegheny is not far. Uh, it's over. Road trip. Pan- Trans Allegheny is nice because it's up to the, almost the panhandle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can head from there over to Wizard Clip and all the other fun out that way. Uh, but, um, but, I'm uh, stealing yeah, she's the name Wizard to, Clip. 
she's pretty close to Flatwoods and uh, and Sutton and mm-hmm. Braxton County. So it's that's a little closer to that. And you know, so like you can do the Mothman Flatwoods and then head up to Greenbrier and then go see Dave Spink's World of Weird right there in Richmond, which is right Yay! there too. I I smell a paranormal road trip this fall. Yes. 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 They're travel amazing. guides. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I've kept you on for an hour and 20 minutes straight talking <laughs> about everything. So I'm going to let Christina and Jen ask some questions and definitely dive into some of the illustrations in this book. So. Yeah, definitely. I, I, one thing I was wondering, uh, Carrie, when drawing this, it seems like, do you find it more interesting to not, did you look at much art that other people had done of these cryptids or did you try to just read the descriptions and come up with your own thing? Um, It depends a little bit. Like some things, the descriptions are really vague. Um, sometimes I like to see how other people interpreted it and then be like, nope, they're wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> usually, like, I actually come back around to what natural creature is this most like, and I kind of try to assemble it based on natural things rather than referring to other people's drawings. So, yeah, I try to start with the description, try to interpret what this person actually saw, because sometimes that's a little difficult. <laughs> And you can't go back and talk to a lot of these people and Not easily. try to compare accounts and see where they overlap and where they differ and then just try to break it down from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of an exciting <laughs> aspect of it because, you know, you can put your own uh, theories and ideas on it. It, it mm-hmm. kind of makes me think of how the way dinosaurs are depicted is based very much on those first illustrations. Yeah. And now they're finding out they were all wrong. Yes. <laughs> That's why I like, I do put a little bit of me into it because I'm like, this is all perspective. So I, I think I get to put a little, my perspective in there too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, so what it, mediums did you use to do these illustrations? I primarily use a uh, water-soluble pencil. I am a big fan. I think it's called Crown Dash um, Company stuff. Mm-hmm. But they have a set of uh, water-soluble graphite pencils that are just mm, nice. <laughs> so I'm just such a pencil person. Like, I'm not big on color, and the books were going to be black and white anyway. So I just went with that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And, and one question I had about, like, talking about Appalachia, do you think a lot of, where you were talking about the holler and a lot of this cultural mythology, is any of it from, like, some of the stuff where you were talking about leaving milk out and stuff, is that kind of old Celtic legend? Like, some of these people, their families came and did things like they did to placate the fairies and the... I feel like we definitely, it's almost American Gods where we kind of brought, Yes, that's what, like, exactly what I thought was American yeah. Gods. That's exactly what it is. I mean, uh, it, and you can, dep- holler by holler, depending which immigrants came to that area. Ancestry. Yeah, it's it, you can tell they have different, you know, things. Like leaving out a pie, you know, uh, on the sill was, you had one for you and one for the forest. And, uh, you know, and then, uh, and, and, you know, and you would leave the fresh apples, you know, over to the side and then 
uh, and then you would leave the, the you know, and then there was one that was they left the fermented stuff over to the side because it, it wasn't for personal use. That was for you know the the folk of the forest. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it was you know Bigfoot related. Was you know was was very much they were they would call him uh, the old man of the woods, or the or the big the big guy was mm -hmm. was one. I loved one family just called him the big guy. They didn't call him Bigfoot. They called him the big guy, uh, and uh, and they, for him they left out bacon. Uh, oh, yeah. you, you like bacon, so you know I was like cooked, and they're like no no no, just strips of bacon. We would leave it out, and it would go away, and you know anything could eat it, but they knew it was the big guy was eating it. Mm -hmm. So you know, and that's um, and it it really depended on the valley. Um, some were so unusual and crazy that I'm like, where the hell did this come from? Because this doesn't match anything that I can think of. Uh, there was a lot of uh, Romani uh, from Romania, uh, you, know, uh, you know, and and other areas that I noticed, you know, which is you know some of my family heritage. So that was that was fascinating to see uh, that 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 had traveled up and down the Appalachian Trail. So yeah, very cool. Actually, I did forget to talk about the Snallygaster. <laughs> hey, we we mentioned it earlier. Room. There's but, always room for that. Yeah, I just love real quickly. Him so much. Uh, just because it is this strange story. My favorite thing about anything is whenever I can work Teddy Roosevelt into a story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a Tampa boy. He came to Tampa. He burned down a bordello here. So that became part <laughs> of Hellview history uh, yeah. because a couple of his men went missing there. And we turned that from dusk till dawn. Imagine <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt fighting vampires. That would have been amazing. Uh, oh. I'm still going to make that movie at some point. Uh, Forget but, uh, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But Teddy actually did that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the Snallygaster is this crazy creature uh, that uh, is uh, known as the Quicks, uh, the Quicks ghost. It's this, it's got a snake-like flying creature, maybe a Thunderbird, because some of the descriptions got weird wings, but it definitely has like tentacles out of its mouth, mm -hmm. metallic parts, you know, robotic parts, some of the descriptions, very steampunk-esque. Uh, and then this thing was so famous that, and people saw it so many times and it kept coming back every, like so often, like every 10 years, it would re-show back up like it had, was hatching and a new one would come. And there were reports of it sitting on giant eggs and, and you know, and, and trying to hatch the next round. And the, the Smithsonian offered a million dollar reward. This is 1910. Offered a million dollars. That's never heard of, you know, would have been a thousand dollars for anything else. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Teddy Roosevelt decides to postpone a important diplomatic mission because he wants to go hunt the thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Napoleon's nephew shot it with a cannonball and it bounced off, you know, mm -hmm. and he famously bragged. So that was when Napoleon, you know, Teddy Roosevelt's like, what? We can't have that. I've got to fight this thing. I'll take it down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it became kind of the a joking creature, but people saw it. People mm -hmm. saw these strange things, and it was you know out of Maryland, but then it was seen as far into West Virginia. It was seen into Virginia. It was seen up into Jersey. Uh, it was seen all the way into Ohio, uh, and um, and it would you know fly and just grab people and pick them up. Uh, famously, did kill a person. Uh, and they couldn't figure Whoa. out what killed him. He was dropped from a great height. What year was marks. this? This was, uh, so this would have been, uh, 19, early 1900s. 
Um, and they found him in a field and they claimed the Snallygaster got him and he had been drained of blood. So mm -hmm. some UFOologists say that he was abducted and it was like a cattle mutilation thing because there were several cattle found near him that were also drained of blood. Uh, so that's why this thing, the snake tentacles that come out of its mouth drain you of blood. So suddenly I'm thinking tremors, you know, and, uh, you know, and stuff like that, but, but flying. Yeah. So it's this crazy story. And then it just dies off, just disappears out of history. Mm -hmm. And, um, so was it just sensational newspapers? Probably to an extent. I think it's a holler monster story that just went crazy that, you know, mm -hmm. that got around, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and just happened to tie in with some other unusual sightings. It could have been a, a crosswick. It could have been a, a, you know, a Thunderbird. Mm -hmm. it's one of those, it kind of fits a little bit of several descriptions. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. but we love him because he's just so unique, you know, uh, <laughs> How and did they the, come up with that name. It's it's German for uh, uh, the original German immigrants called it the Schnellegeist, which mm -hmm. meant fast spirit, like a poltergeist, right. like a poltergeist, yeah. Yeah, but, but with more tentacles. Yeah, yeah, with mm -hmm. you know more more Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, and, and 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 out of Arkham, Massachusetts, maybe. So who knows? <laughs> wow, with twenty percent more tentacles. And it's I just would have been about so the time Lovecraft was a young kid reading newspaper articles. So, mm -hmm. you know. Christina, you should that would with what some mechanical steampunk parts. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Cool. This sounds. I mean, I, no. Carrie, this sounds like an all a really fun project to draw. <laughs> that one was yeah. complicated because it makes no sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and and, and yeah. you know, Spring Hill Jack is right around that area. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we didn't put him in the book, but it was no. around that same time frame. So it was yeah. like okay, so steampunk was kind of a thing even though it wasn't called steampunk back then but right. uh, uh so that may be where the scales turned into clockwork and stuff like that but uh, who knows it's just it's a fascinating story so mm -hmm. i would think the interesting thing illustrating this stuff too is so much uh you know having you know you have written horror and science fiction and so much of the imagery has an iconography that you recognize so when you're looking at a creature that doesn't have like a typical, would you say, type, it, it means when you look at it, it's what you described. I don't know what I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you said the one uh, with, the, with the peg leg and, and you look at this collection of things and it doesn't resolve into something you recognize. Yeah, it's like one of those artist keyword challenges to just put these things together. <laughs> Yeah. I admit that's a drawing exercise I, I do with my students where we oh, do yeah. creature design and I'll put up like three different, very different animals and say, make a creature with these in five minutes. Oh. Yeah. yeah, You can do that. You can do that. I mean, <laughs> you can do that alone with Mothman. That was one of the things, Carrie, I, I challenged her because there's so many people draw Mothman a very specific way. And we went back to the original sightings and said, look, it's completely different than what everybody mm -hmm. Because everybody's so influenced by the movie. Everybody's so influenced by some of the more recent, you know, you know, because they're influenced by the movie, they make it just big eyes and you know the big wings and 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 but when you go back to those original descriptions, it's basically a flying sasquatch with a yeah. head. <laughs> and it's and he's muscular and he's ripping his wings caught in barbed wire. The first sighting of it, his wing is caught in barbed wire, and he's using muscular arms to rip his wing free. Nowhere is that in any drawing. 
nowhere is that in anything. It's actually kind of closer to that strange statue that uh, that 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 represents him out in Point Pleasant. That's at so, the end of the book. Oh yes, we had to put that at the end of the book because yeah. it's. Well, as I was writing the book, we turned on. I would turn on Mothman Cam every day just to watch <laughs> it, uh, and, and just count how many people touch Mothman's butt. Yeah, you know, and it's, <laughs> that statue. It's you know he's he's got a he's got an eight pack and he's got buns of steel literally. So um, you know you you watch and it's so funny because you'll see everybody come out do the selfie up front and then they'll walk around the back and then they'll smile they'll point and then they'll selfie with the butt or they'll touch the butt and it's just um, and so <laughs> I I fought with the publisher I'm like this has to be the last picture but well we did we had one other one that was a backup. And that's from uh, the book, uh, the Bigfoot Museum in Georgia, because we do a, we do a whole section of the book on Bigfoot, and we don't mm -hmm. talk about it much tonight. But that's fine yeah. because everybody talks about Bigfoot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we do a big section on all the different Bigfoot throughout the mountains. Uh, but there's in Georgia, there's the Bigfoot uh, expedition, Expedition Bigfoot. This is giant museum dedicated to all things Sasquatch. It's amazing, uh, and they have prints and casts of all the footprints and everything wow but most famously Aww. they have bigfoot's butt print from where he sat down somewhere. <laughs> so that was going to be the backup picture if we didn't get permission <laughs> we still stuck that one in the book too so yeah but, That's awesome. but we ended really... the end yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I loved it it was this was such a wonderful book to read through um Mark, you did a good job with all the history and all the field work. And Carrie, you did a wonderful job with all the illustrations. Thank you. So uh, can you tell our listeners where they can get your book? Um, you can find it at bookstores everywhere. Um, uh, you can find all of our books uh, in Florida. You can find them at every CVS, Walgreens, and Cracker Barrel. Uh, our publisher puts us everywhere. That's uh, a good distribution. Yeah. Oh man, they, they, History Press loves us and puts us everywhere. So we're hoping we'll start hitting the Cracker Barrels up along, you know, the Appalachian Trail here and all up and down seventy-five and ninety-five. Uh, but um, but in the meantime, if you can't get, you find us in your local stores. Uh, you can order us uh, at any of the usual online homes, but you can order direct from us at uh, ErieFlorida.com. Mm -hmm. or eerietravels.com gets to us too. And uh, Carrie will be happy to draw a little something in there. And Yay. I'll be happy to write a little something in there for you. Yes. And um, and that way you can get it direct from the horse's mouth, as it were. Yeah. And um, that's probably the easiest way to find us. Yeah. And I know we did not talk about the Kirkbride Asylums. Oh, even yeah. Even it was on our list of discussions. Whole section in there on that. It's a whole beautiful section on that. So if we happen to make a ghost hunt reservation at one Kirkbride Asylum known as Waverly Hills, would you be interested in joining us there? We would be happy to. We have family up in the area. We can go hang out with them a little bit and then make a side trek over with you all. And happy to go visit some of the friendly ghosts we met up there in the past. Yeah. So. That would be awesome. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, we you can do the the the, the key is to do the, the the sweep, right? You do you do Waverly, yes, you do Trans Allegheny, you do yes. uh Penhurst, and uh you know, and then there's a couple others that you could hit along the way. And then if you're really fun, you go over to uh, Athens and hit uh, the ridges, yes, which is mm -hmm. now part of the university system, so it's mm -hmm. actually it's nice and restored, but you can still go up into that attic and and check out that stain. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, which is fun. 
another yeah, story for another time. <laughs> yeah, it's restored, but it's still spooky from what I hear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, oh and what are your what are your socials? Do you yes. have social media that we can follow? Yeah, uh, at Erie Florida and uh, at Erie Travels. That's generally all of our stuff. And Carrie has uh, some of her own. I don't post enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of illustrators. Yeah, yeah. Listen, so. Yeah, she's she's as you can tell, she's very much the teller to my pen. So I, yeah, she lets me do all the talking. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, and she's she's like ghost kryptonite. Everything weird happens to me, and and we'll be in these weird places, and unusual things will be happening. And Carol will be over taking a picture of a butterfly on a stone. <laughs> you know, very and, oblivious. And just ignore, you know, it, not, yeah. So hopefully, at some point, the door opens, but you know, we'll see. Yes, come ghost hunting with us. Yes, the, the ghosts see me and go, "Oh yay, fresh meat!" That's all. Just, <laughs> just. Oh man, I was listening to some of your earlier stuff with the doppelganger. I was like, "Oh, that story! Yeah, you need to come up and visit that place sometime." Um, yeah, let us know whenever you're in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that was a story. Yes, yes, yes. Too bad we couldn't have bought that building. <laughs> yeah, oh, really. yeah, yeah. The Sedamsville Rectories for se- mm-hmm. was is it been sold already? Oh, I, I don't know. I wasn't following it. I wasn't either. It just would have, I just thought it would have been cool to have. Yeah. Uh, Dave yeah. Spinks from uh, World of Weird in West Virginia, he just bought Widow's Weep. Uh, wow. He actually has, has it now. So that's, uh, wow. If you haven't talked to Dave, he's a great guy too. And Ooh, uh, look into uh, that. He's my West Virginia. Yeah, definitely. He's my boots on the ground guy in West Virginia. Helped me out a lot. So nice. That's awesome. Yes, yes, yes. So shall I do our social media? Yes, yes. I think uh, on that note. Yeah, on that note. <laughs> so, everyone, thank you for listening. You can follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter and at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And please send us your hometown haunts from your neck of the woods to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. And I'm Kat Cloco for Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Mark and Carrie. Good night and stay spooky. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. See you on the other side. <laughs> <laughs>